Welcome back, everyone. Hopefully this is starting any sometime soon. Uh, yeah, YouTube says it's going live. So welcome back. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, lots of Peloton news. Growth stocks have sold off quite a bit. Um, but first, let's let some folks filter in uh, and kind of go over some of just the highlights in the macro story from the day. So if you're signed up for Morning Sense, which is our um, email newsletter where every day you get a ton of kind of uh, the backdrop of the markets, um, you get the macro daily, crypto daily, uh, and then you get my thoughts on different stocks every single day and we're adding to it, uh, you'd be kind of up to speed. But um, let's go over some of that because every week we do this uh, as well. So today, U.S. equities overall were little changed. Um, the S&P was up about... Uh, just under 0.1%. So the S&P was generally flat, but this hid quite a rotation. Uh, Amazon was down over percent and a lot of growth stocks were down. Um, and you saw a lot of kind of strength from kind of the healthcare sector and some of the big kind of more value names. Um, and the whole market was weighed down late in the session after the White House indicated it would support or support a suspension of patent rights for COVID vaccines. Uh, so the market got a little bit spooked by that. And then U.S. 10-year Treasury yields slipped downwards to uh, 1.57. So that means the price of Treasuries went up and yields went down. Um, there was a modest miss on the ADP employment report for April, uh, rising 742,000 against what folks had thought or economists had thought would be 850,000. So that was kind of a miss. Um, and then another miss in economic data as well on uh, the kind of U.S. services uh, ISM for April, which was down. Uh, there's more evidence of bottlenecking in all of our supply chains. Uh, prices paid. The prices paid index rose to its highest level since July 2008. And just a reminder for those of you that are new to the markets, July 2008 um, was a time when... Um, you know, we were coming out of another very, very large recession, the great financial crisis. If you uh, haven't, you know, if you haven't weren't around then, then welcome. This is your first go around. Some of us have been around for one or two of these things. So again, I think, um, yeah, let's go on and I'll tell you what I think about the market and et cetera. Uh, the Chicago Fed's Evans said uh, the some firming inflation expectations will be needed and uh, recovery still has a long way to go. Uh, U.S. economists take a look at inflation expect, uh, expectations in, in a much more, I would say, calm manner than some of uh, the market participants, I would say. And, um, you know, and then U.S. trend inflation is inching higher, but still below the target. Again, the target is somewhere in that 2% range, but they're willing to kind of let that run. Um, and, you know, I believe some of the research reports that I read today suggest uh, trend inflation remains about 20 to 40 uh, bips, which is 20.2 to 0.4% below that Fed target. Uh, labor supply is going up, up, up. Um, and uh, that's just something that I read also, another headline. Um, so bottom line is everyone's worried about inflation, but no one knows what the heck's going on. Like that, that's the flat out answer of it, right? You got the Fed and then you got Yellen coming out yesterday, scaring the markets and saying uh, rates have to rise. And then she like freaked out the markets and had to come out later after the market closed and say, oh, I didn't, I wasn't commenting on, on, uh, on 
Fed policy, you know, and, and she made it more seem like she was commenting on the fact that the markets should raise long-term interest rates from here. Uh, so, you know, like no one knows what's going on. And then on the other hand, you have, you know, the Fed's official messaging in the toolbox is we're not, we're not uh, tightening policy. We're not going to raise yield rates to fight inflation. So the question is, look, we saw really big spikes in inflation back in 2008 and coming out of the great financial crisis. We're coming out of a deep, deep recession, depression, right? I mean, recession, depression, V-shaped recovery in which global trade got, got totally shut down and then capacity cut. And on top of that, you had a you had an oil crisis. The Suez Canal got blocked. Like this is almost comical, right? This is not even a, a esoteric uh, CMBS crisis that Wall Street's blah 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 blah. It's literally like kind of comical what happened. I mean, I don't I don't mean it in in terms of the health crisis. I don't think that's comical at all. I don't mean like to shed light on that. But I think like uh, when you think about when you, I think it's the the comical thing. I think on t is that. Uh, the whole global supply chain is uh, is shut down, and to add insult to injury, you get this big tanker that clogs up one of the main main routes to ship a bunch of global trade. That was the comical part, but everything else not comical. But I would say it's definitely we can all agree a confluence of you know capacity getting taken out of the global supply chain, and so when we're coming out of this, right. Out of any recession, you're going you're going to get transitory inflation. You're going to get really big spikes because capacity was taken out, costs were cut, companies were trying to survive, and now you have a big return and a sharper one this time around because everyone has a ton of money. Everyone, you and I, on average, uh, the bottom ten percent of Americans. And again, welcome everybody. Um, um, Everybody who who's not from the U.S., but I, you know, coming from a U.S.-centric view, um, and you know, this one that we want to track to, given when the U.S. sneezes, the the world catches a cold. That's the classic saying. Um, you know, the bottom ten percent of Americans have struggled and are still really, really struggling, and I feel for that segment of the, of the population. But on average, in aggregate, the middle class and up have more money, more savings, more income today than they did before the pandemic so and now you have you know knock on wood just from a personal and health perspective you have uh i think about 30 maybe close closing in on 40 percent of the population now vaccinated so you have a flood of people coming back to wanting to spend their money and what does that do that increases demand for products everybody wants houses everybody wants um to go fly around. Everyone wants a lot of different things, right? Just across the economy. And all those companies that have been struggling to survive can't make enough of them. And so that's what we call inflation, right? The demand is up. The supply is constrained. So if you've taken basic economics, right? Demand's up, so prices go up. But supply's down, so the prices go up quite a bit, right? Price, price line. Um, so, but are we going to see runaway inflation? Well, Yellen had to come out and say, no, we think it's, a, uh, it's under control. Powell's got it under control. Uh, what do you all think, right? And in a, in a similar sense, you know, we've talked about this. We talked about this on the Roic only stream for Roic members at a couple cents.com. Go check us out. Get so much more investing content. Um, you, you get 
great community. Uh, I wanted to pull up the price of gold, right? So the traditional inflation hedge is not doing very well. Let's see. Let's get a chart over here. Uh, let's go to CNBC's markets, see if they have it. Asset commodities. It's going to be a commodity. Gold. Let's see if we can get a gold price chart. Okay. Well, let's just look at the GLD ETF, right? Gold has not done well despite this inflation scare, right? So, you know, what's going on? Well, let me point you to this. This is something that we saw for a long time. You all know I've been a big Bitcoin person, even though that's not like I'm not a crypto YouTuber, you know, but I'm a value slash growth investor. I would say I'm a growth investor that looks for value in growth. Does that make sense? Undervalued growth companies uh, or fairly valued, amazing growth companies. And, you know, this is my inflation hedge. I believe Bitcoin is the kind of uh, new man's way of, of hedging inflation. So I think this is, you know, part of the reason why, you know, Bitcoin's been doing well, but I also think it's on its own little independent, uncorrelated super cycle. So just as we go over what the markets are doing, you know, the markets are flat today. Growth stocks have gotten punched in the mouth because of inflation fears. And when, if you're new to the channel, we've been talking about it since December. If yields go up and inflation goes up, that's generally an, a, uh, a headwind to financial assets. And specifically, the financial assets that get smacked in the mouth the hardest are the ones where the cash flows or the, the, mean, the biggest portion of the company's value is in years far off into the future. Because the higher the rates, right, the compound interest, you discount those further cash flows at a more aggressive pace when rates are rising. So that's, I mean, it, I mean, you can, there's probably a lot of reasons and technically why the market is selling. You know, there's funds flows, a lot of large asset managers are, are moving and sloshing around a lot of dollars, but the market in the aggregate has some sort of hive mind um, rationale to why it's moving these things. So crypto's up, or it's recovered, right? For those of you that want a deeper dive on crypto, I just released a YouTube video, it's 27 minutes. If you're willing to watch this, you probably are willing to watch that, that other one. Uh, with the second go-around with um, Rob Morgolis, uh, who's the VP of Institutional Services at BlockFi, and he has, he's basically on the desk, right? Like He knows a lot of what's going on in the crypto world, and he gave us an inside look. So go watch that video. Um, and so... That's kind of what's happening in the market. And we're going to dive into Peloton. We'll dive into Uber. We will dive into some other stocks that are, you know, upvoted by Roic members. And we'll get to some voicemails as well. Um, for those of you asking me about Peloton, or sorry, Palantir, I can give you your value right now. I've been saying I don't like Palantir for a long time. I went on, uh, you know, I don't know. I went on Tom Nash's channel and he was talking about Palantir. Palantir. I said, I don't like it. Compare it against CrowdStrike. I'd rather buy CrowdStrike. And to his credit, he did a lot of CrowdStrike work and, um, you know, his, his community bought CrowdStrike and did well, uh, from what I can tell. Um, Palantir to me is still overvalued. Um, and if you want kind of proof on that, 
Let me just see. Let me just pull up their financials. You know, and part of this channel is me just passing along my institutional data to you because it doesn't make sense for an individual investor to pay 10 grand or 20 grand for a Bloomberg terminal, let alone interpret that for you. So um, you'll have to forgive Centio for being so slow, like they always are, but I have it now. So we look here for Palantir, look here for Palantir. They're trading at 30 times forward gross profit. Or I guess if you want to give them credit for forward gross profit. Um, we're in May now. So they're trading at 28 times forward gross profit. That's expensive for something growing at 30, 35% a year, especially with rates like this, especially since it's a growth company, especially since it's $36 billion on $300 million in EBITDA. So you're buying it at 115 times EBITDA, which is, for if you're new here, cash profit. Um, you know, that means that most of Palantir's value is out in the future. So you're exposing yourself to more growth. And the macro story is we should be tentative on growth versus value, right? And I tried my very best on the Roke big board to rotate us into value. Unfortunately, I wish we had gone more aggressive towards value, but I am not a macro person and I am still bent towards um, towards growth. I like growth. I like companies that are expanding the pie and innovating. So, you know, my bent is generally not to go 50-50 growth or value growth, but I, we, we did avoid some. I mean, as you can see uh, from the from our uh, website, if you go to a couple cents.com right now, you'll see how we're doing compared to um, kind of a pure growth strategy, which is Kathy Woods, right? So this is the purple. I mean, we're doing, we're, we're holding up a lot of the growth gains we saw. And, but, and then around here, we started really trying to diversify. Plus we're diversified into crypto too. So definitely check us out and check, check Roic out if you, if you want to invest for life and you want to join our community. Um, but yeah, so Palantir is just too expensive. 30 times. I love the company. You have to, um, disaggregate or bifurcate the two things. Love the company, love the price, right? I love sushi, but if I ate sushi every day of the year, I'd like, maybe I'd go broke if I got like top dollar sushi. I don't know. Right. Um, I love Ferraris. Do I love the price? Heck no right? If you gave me a Ferrari for 10 bucks, I'd buy it. If you gave me a Ferrari for a million dollars, I'd be like, pass, right? So to everything, there is a thing that you like or you dislike, and there is a price that you like or dislike. Any positive asset has a price at which you are willing to buy it, or an investor is willing to buy it, okay? Um, I'm not someone who likes picking up turds for cheap value, I don't really like that. I like finding really great companies at fair prices or pretty good companies for very undervalued or for undervalued, right? I don't like picking up like crappy companies for like three times EBITDA. That's like, I, I know we've done that a couple times to some success on the big board. That's generally not what I like to do. So um, one more thing, while we're on the topic of inflation and housing, we started a 
quite a sizable position on the Roke big board. The trade alert went out today. It's in your inbox if you're a Roke member. Uh, we bought a big size into a value stock. It's a building product stock that we really like, and this could potentially be a 50% gainer or more. If our research is right, all opinions, not advice. None of this is financial advice. This is just an analyst analyzing st stocks for you. So, um, yeah, so Ken did a really great research report. Uh, yeah, and we talked about it today. Makes a lot of sense. We really walked through the valuation, which is kind of why I'm lending my expertise. And, uh, you know, it looks really great. Looks really great. So definitely read that report or you can, tr or, you know, do your thing. Do your thing. Do your own research, right? Um, okay, so now let's talk about Peloton. What the heck is happening with Peloton? Peloton is down huge today. Lots to talk about. I don't even know if we're going to get to questions. Peloton is down to under 15 bucks a share. And quite a bit, I mean, we were buying all the way up from the 55 range all the way up and then till our cost basis was 80, not, I think it was 87 bucks a share. So now we are, we have finally grinded down towards below our cost basis. And this is, this one is quite a, um, it has become quite the contentious stock. And I don't really know why it's so contentious, but basically they announced today that they were doing voluntary recalls on both it's on their treadmill products um, over safety concerns. And for those of you that haven't uh, joined us before, we talked about this when the initial news came out, when the when the Consumer Product Safety Commission came out and said that uh, that you need to recall these things because they're dangerous. You know, the first in inclination was to be like, no, it's fine, only one person. I mean, it's you know, buyer beware kind of thing. Um, and then they were going to do some software fixes to allow, um, to basically make so that nobody but the user can turn it on. I did my own analysis. I have a treadmill in my basement and I have a Peloton bike. And the only difference is all treadmills are really dangerous, but Peloton treads are based on kind of the, uh, I don't know if you've, you've seen these, but they're the, uh, the woodway the woodway uh, treadmills that have like a kind of a wooden plank so that you get a little bit more spring and it's better for your knees. And so they don't have that like bar below them where other treadmills have a bar below them that you can get sucked in and definitely very hurt or die, but the bar will stop you from getting fully sucked in. So I tweeted and I did a whole tweet thread and I thought they, they should at least send people out to go fix the, the bar. And they're, so what we do see here from this article is they apologize for not acting more quickly. One death and dozens of injuries. If you watch the videos, like if you watch the videos, like so there is definitely like parental, like some of these parents are leaving their kids like to play next to a uh, operating heavy machinery. And so it's like some of this is like overly bad PR. Um, let's see. Designed differently than its peers. Uh, instead of a thinner continuous belt, um, you know, they pushed back. The recall is the right step. Uh, I don't think, like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe to you all, have they, uh, have they destroyed their credibility? 
Do you think that Peloton has destroyed their brand to you? I mean, I've asked my friends and my wife. They're they're like, look, like we like the product and I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to give away my product. So that's my base case is they're not going to like, you're not going to get a big pickup in, 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 um, in re- actual people that want to recall the product, but it will give you quite a bit of costs on the business um, about the tread product, right? They got to go back to the drawing board, make it a little bit safer and then do a little PR marketing and then sell that later. So it's going to basically push off some of that revenue. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of, you know, this was something from a B, B of A came out today and um, they dropped Peloton to a neutral rating after having a buy rating. Uh, Justin Post said, our biggest concern on the news is not the potential loss of Tread Plus subscribers. Tread Plus subscribers are only 5% of the total, but uh, we think many will keep, the, and they think that many will keep their Tread Plus units, which I agree. But the potential impact on the launch uh, of the new lower price tread, they had anticipated the new tread would be a significant growth driver in 2022. This is something that I specifically called out. I believe in one of the streams, it might have been the private row stream. Um, we had anticipated, that, yeah, so driving upside, whatever. Um, this will delay the lower, pri- lower price tread launch to Q3. Um, so it pushes off some, some, uh, some revenue. But in terms of, does this company, is this company worth 15% less today? The answer is no, in my opinion, right? No one knows the answer. I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you the future, but I adjusted my, my projections down. I, I adjusted my, uh, my growth rates for their hardware. So connected fitness products division. So CFP down quite meaningfully. And I've adjusted my price target down to about 150 per share just because like we don't know exactly how, how badly this is going to go. But at $82 a share, to me, this is probably a double from here still. So you can see what we did on the big board today. Did the product change? I don't think so. I will... Um, point you to this handy dandy iPhone here where it seems like every other podcast like Joe Rogan is talking about how uh, these things are made by people jumping off of the top of factories. Uh, Nike makes their clothes with almost slave labor. Um, You know, I think this one is closer to home than those two examples. And so in real time, I'm not really trying to tell you an opinion. I'm just thinking in real time, analogies that where we can kind of pin this one to on the bulletin board. And, you know, I'm trying to think of an example in which there's been a recall that's killed, that's absolutely killed a company or just smacked it from, you know, trying to think like, there hasn't been maybe some car companies. I remember like the the Ford Pinto, right? The Ford Pinto like blew up on fire a bunch. Remember Tesla? Tesla's had some like self-driving crashes and fires that they've had to go out and fix publicly. 
Samsung Note explosion. Oh man, I really, oh, I got to show you. I have a picture of, in New York City, when I was still a hedge fund analyst in New York City, let's see if I can uh, pull this up for you in real time. I was a hedge fund analyst in New York City and I, ha- I needed a last minute, um, last minute Halloween party, uh, Halloween party costume. And I went as a Galaxy Note uh, a galaxy, galaxy note that uh, that exploded. Let's see if I can find this for you. I'll find it in the background while I'm talking. Um, Chipotle, that's a good one. So Peapot said Chipotle the crisis stock was down heavy for years because that truly affected demand really, really sharply. Now the difference is, the difference with Chipotle is. They are not a recurring revenue business. This is why I loved Peloton, right? Is people think of them as like a manufacturer of hardware. When in fact, they are more akin to Roku than they are akin to something. I don't know. So like a hardware manufacturer. They give you this product and attached to the product is a subscription. So... That leads to stickier revenues. That leads to higher uh, customer lifetime value over time in cohort analysis. They have meaningfully less. They have like 0.8% churn every single year. Like it's ridiculously low or every quarter or something like that. Basically, their churn is so low. My thesis with this company, when you break down the unit economics, is the fact that they sell Pelotons into the world and there will always be a subscription attached to them. And the right, so the amount of Pelotons that are out in the world being used, there will always be subscription revenue attached to them. So to me, that there's there's really just just global inventory of Pelotons and subscription revenue on top of it. Similarly, right, Roku's, they sell them at cost. They sell them really cheaply, or they used to. I think they make a profit now. Um, and then they uh and then they're now they're making like advertising revenues on their Roku free channels, right? So Peloton is a better business than that, right? So unlike that, Chipotle's, if I'm a Chipotle, I basically stopped buying Chipotle. And anybody that's been on this channel has known how much I like burritos. I grew up in Southern California. I love all types of burritos. I'd rather eat burritos than sandwiches because I'm, I don't know. I grew up in Southern California. I love burritos. Um, I gave up Chipotle. Like I didn't, I didn't eat at Chipotle because... That in itself, food products or whatever products are low barrier to entry, high substitution, low differentiation, individual and disposable purchases. So that means every day I choose to go into a Chipotle, every time I buy Chipotle, I give them revenue. If Chipotle wants that revenue again, I need to actively go into Chipotle again, buy a burrito, eat it, and then do my thing and then rinse and repeat. Now, when they have an E. coli scare, I just go to the smaller burrito chain over there or I go eat a Subway sandwich. High competition for burrito to burrito, high uh, substitution, burrito to sandwich chain, right? Peloton now, from what I can tell, from the reports that I'm seeing and the people that I'm talking to who have Peltons, they don't, they're not going to sell their 
two to $5,000 device. It's very heavy, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you may get some people that take them up on the, on the, on the recall and it's going to be a one-time cost and you go back to the drawing board. Just put the bar there. Just put a back bar. It's pretty darn simple. All you got to do is put a little guard. I know it's not aesthetically as good. I think from a moral perspective, they should put that there, right? But, you know, I still believe, I, I mean, my valuation is I think it's a 150 plus stock. So uh, even, even adjusting things down. So I think the good silver lining here is that, um, is that uh, they, Tread hasn't been a big part of their revenues yet. So that's that. Um, people are worried that people will go back to the gym. So this is something that we've been addressing on the channel even before the news on Peloton. Um, Pelotons are not in the middle class yet. Pelotons are being bought by bougie millennials. Rich people with a second home. Introverts that don't like the gym. I mean, I agree. A lot of people will go back to the gym. But right now they're in like four countries. And they're selling this many Pelotons. And they were selling this many Pelotons before COVID. The whole thing is, look, four countries, you're in Germany, UK, Canada, and the US. And they're not even everywhere in Canada. They're only in some places in Canada. Like the TAM here is enormous. And not only that, they bought, uh, was it Precore? So now they're going to start selling into gyms. So the question is, do you think that, I think this is a question you need to think about, right? Think like a VC, think of like a growth, kind of an early growth investor. In five to 10 years, do you think that gyms will have smart connected devices or do you think that they'll still have kind of the dumb devices we have now? And if you think that there's some penetration into of smart devices into the gym, I mean, that's going to be Peloton. They've got the commanding lead in terms of the product. Um, yeah, and yeah, I agree. Like we even, I even... If you watch my Peloton video from way back when, if you, um, I didn't want to buy a Peloton. It's female leaning, right? I mean, not, it's not overly female, but it is definitely female skewing. Uh, there's just some magic to the product. Uh, when you kind of go on to um, some of the, the competing ones, it's just not the same. So, trying to find the samsung picture for you in my icloud but maybe i won't i'll have to find it maybe post it on uh on is during halloween all right let's 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 move on whatever i'll figure it out um okay cool and, and guys, talking about Equinox potentially going public, I was actually a West Village Equinox member for the longest time. I used to pay like 200 bucks a month. Oh, that makes me cringe now. But I mean, it's Manhattan. It was the only like nice one. And then people buy like $17 sweet green salads every day. So just think about that, right? Not everything has to make sense to the whole swath of the, of the industry or of the population to be a good product, right? 
there's just products for certain people and products for not, right? Like the market for private jets, like, yeah, like people are going to go back to like coach. Like, no, like, I mean, the rich people are going to still do private jets, right? Um, cool. Um, so now that we've talked about Peloton, you know my view there pretty overwhelmingly. I hope I was clear. Let's talk about um, Uber. Uber is down really big today. Um, mostly because I think it's a growth stock. But they also reported earnings. And this is a, another example of some of a company um, reporting great earnings and being down. There's another piece of news that came out um, that Uber shares initially served at, surged after hours at, on strong bookings and delivery growth, um, indicating recovery, but shares fell during the conference call even as the CEO sees, says he sees profitability by the end of the year because the regulatory concern um, of classifying uh, gig workers as employees. What I've said on this channel before, and don't forget to hit that like button, by the way. That's my business, I guess. I sell likes, I get her. I buy likes. I buy likes with my content. I don't know. You guys analyze that for me. Um, don't forget to hit that like button and, and subscribe if you're new here. We do all these things, uh, all, all things investing, crypto, uh, a little bit of crypto, lots of stocks, lots of companies, some real estate, if, if that uh, you know, is, is attractive. And uh, from a former hedge fund analyst. So thanks so, much, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you all. Um, but I've said on this channel here, and I've written about it ad nauseum, ad nauseum it seems like, uh, in Morning Sense, which is our newsletter. Go check it out, a couplesense.com, link in the description, where you can see all of our stock picks. And I manage the portfolio. I can put that up right now. I said it. That is only going to increase the price of rides. They are going to be able to, I, I believe they will, they will be able to pass on the, uh, the price increases of having to pay for employee-like payroll taxes and healthcare, et cetera. They're going to be able to pass along those increased costs to consumers in the form of rides because ride hailing is a thing now people have gotten used to ride hailing now will that affect overall demand sure sure i think so i think it's interesting but people are now uh we are seeing reports that uber and lyft can't even find enough drivers to feel the demand right um, I'm trying to go to a couple and just kind of give you the full write-up of what I had said. This is going to, the gig worker classification thing is going to smack certain stocks harder than others in the long run, right? For me, right, like in the short run, it's all about fear and greed and narrative. In the long run, it's about profits because if a company grows profits, it will do fine, right? Even literal People killing companies have grown profits to do well in the stock. Now, are you going to invest in those things? Like, I don't know. Like, some people have an issue against coal companies. Some people have an issue against Phil, Philip Morris for killing a bunch of people with, by selling cigarettes, right? I mean, like, 
I don't, I don't invest in cigarette companies. I don't invest in prison companies. Like those are two things, but those things like fear, greed, drive the market in the short term. But at the end of the day, what are we predicting? We're predicting cash flows. And as long as you're okay, like owning the company, like from a moral perspective, then, you know, like we're here for cash flows and for the long term. So whenever things like, whenever there's big news out, just ask yourself, how much does this change cash flows? Right. And again, perception can translate into cash flows, right? Like a, a PR destruction of a company could destroy cash flows. But I think, yeah, we're, we're getting sucked back into uh, Peloton again. But uh, Uber, I'll just search my website for Uber. Uh, blog posts, I believe. There it is. Just hold on. These I write so much of content. Um, you know, I just wanted to, you know. So you have to let's go at let's go look at what Uber stock is going doing. Uber stock is down another five percent. So in toto, it's down almost like eight percent, right? It's down a lot. But it's been generally trading sideways. So is this a steal? Is this a steal? I think it's a, a real let's just I don't want to spoil this for you. In general, most delivery companies will try to pass on the extra costs to the consumer, but although they might look the same, the different delivery apps have different economics and consumer incentives and will be affected differently. Package delivery. Price and selection matters in hard goods delivery. This is why Bezos was so obsessed with being low cost, having the best selection, and having stellar customer service. As long as we don't have to think about delivery costs and packages come within a few days, we are hooked. I also think that e-commerce package delivery is sticky because the alternative is to physically go to stores and try to find what you're looking for. Amazon has built its delivery infrastructure in-house, so gig economies don't really apply here, but other companies like Deliveroo or, um, I don't know, like these, you know, uh, the, the grocery delivery ones, right? Or So there's other delivery ones. Um, uh, exploring using companies like DoorDash and Uber for the last mile delivery. If governments require extra costs for delivery workers, it would benefit the players with in-house scale. So it, it would only benefit Amazon. And you all know how much I love Amazon. Ride hailing. This is a naturally distributed network because apps have removed the need for central dispatching. Do you all remember when we used to hail cabs and when we used to call a 1-800 number or a local number to go ask for someone who's sitting in an office to go and pick us up. And it used to be hundred plus dollars, right? This is a natural business that wants to be relatively decentralized and gig, right? And this is government, uh, I'll, you know, I'll stop there, but the government clearly wants like workers' rights here. Um, those costs will ultimately be passed on to the consumer, I believe, if they, can, if they increase the cost of gig workers to Uber and Lyft. This won't impact their current business too much as taxi cabs aren't really viable alternatives. They've already killed taxi cabs, essentially. So it might limit the midterm total addressable market, though, by driving up the overall cost of a, of a ride, right? So it will get passed on to the consumer, but on the edges, if a $100 ride to, to the, if a $50 ride to the, to the airport becomes $70, on the margin, maybe the person who uh, wants to get an Uber ride to the airport, to their flight, like I'm going to fly out tomorrow, maybe I'll be like, ah, it's not worth it. I'm going to, I'm going to drive there and park. 
may on the edge case, it may actually affect them. So it, it does affect Uber. Don't get me wrong. I'm like not brushing this off. Um, yeah, what, what, when that happens, the attractiveness of driving yourself somewhere increases, which would be a headwind against more people using ride hailing. But none of this matters if self-driving comes along and the overall cost of, of gig rides keeps coming down, right? Technology is deflationary, and I, I believe like the cost of gig rides have co been coming down. So yes, this might be a one-time hit in certain like more liberal-leaning states or worker-friendly states to increase the cost of a ride in those states. But, you know, like 80% of people that would otherwise, 90% of people that would otherwise take, um, take an Uber, probably you're going to still do the Uber even if it increases like 10%, right? Um, but there are going to be some people that don't take Ubers. And they're like kind of like on the margin. They're like, oh, I could just save the money. So the thing I think you have to watch out for, and if, if you know, in, in, relative, in a relative like value thing, is I think it destroys meal and grocery delivery. I love DoorDash's execution. I don't love what this gig worker classification will do to them. It's already kind of insane that I order a Chipotle, an $8 Chipotle burrito to my house and I pay like 20 bucks or 15 bucks, right? Or something, right? Or I have to, I have to order two burritos and it's like $27 with tip. It's already uneconomical, right? Furthermore, you're going to classify these gig workers as employees and increase the price of a meal delivered by another 20%, 10 to 20%. You know, I was already on the fence ordering in my food versus just going in and picking it up. Um, I think they get smacked with this. And grocery delivery, I'm actually very bearish on grocery delivery um, across the board. Uh, people are asking specifically about Uber selling. I wrote about all this in Morning Sense. Guys, sign up for the newsletter if you're not already. Um, Uber selling their, uh, their self-driving unit and Lyft doing it. Well, you know, honestly, if they weren't going to get it done, it's better to just sell it. And to me, they just need existentially, they just need to, um, they just need to make sure that they buy huge fleets of these things when they first start getting, um, like coming on online. My base case, I'm not a gigantic Tesla bull, right? Like I am a fanboy, and I think they'll crack the nut on, on self-driving, but I don't think self-driving becomes a thing like overnight. I mean, Teslas aren't even becoming a thing overnight, right? Like you see one here, you see one there, they're getting more common, common, more common, but Imagine this. It's not going to be like, oh, all of a sudden you can be like, you can just not drive. What's going to happen is Tesla is going to release fully self-driving at some point. It's going to be pretty good, but like kind of scary in certain turns. Like, I don't know if you all have tested this out or go, go watch like plenty of YouTubers go get millions of views, like reviewing the stuff. So go check that out. What I think happens is you start getting a lot of cars with a $10,000 upsell, $20,000 upsell that can drive for you mostly, but then you have, you need to legally, but also like kind of nervously, you need to sit behind the wheel. And so when you sit behind the wheel, that means Uber and Lyft is still relevant. That means that Tesla can't go build their own Uber. 
So I think you have this gradual mix shift, or maybe not gradual, but over a five-year span, maybe, mix shift towards uh, Uber drivers are just sitting there, hands off the wheel. Oh, oh, something's happening. Okay, I'll be there. But they're like eating their fries and be like, oh, hey, what's up, right? Next ride, eating, oh, well, I got to adjust this. This is a weird stop, right? And then, you know, we're going to iterate our way there. You just don't solve, um, there's a phrase for that, right? You don't. You don't boil the ocean overnight, right? You boil it one cup at a time. You don't eat an elephant all at once. You eat it one bite at a time. So I think people think like panacea, like they release it and it's like all, all solved, but that's not usually, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So I also think that, yeah, I mean, I like Tesla a lot. I think Tesla is getting sort of attractive for a bull, like someone who innately loves Tesla as a product. But you also, in order to buy Tesla at this price, um, let's look at what they're trading at now. 670, you know, I think you need to believe that they solve self-driving and they become a top three auto manufacturer. I mean, you need to, because if they don't have self-driving, they just become a top three auto manufacturer. They're either fairly priced or they should be a four to $600 stock. Um, I start probably as a fanboy getting interested in the low 600s. That's what I've said. So... After the big moves on the Roic big board today, we are now even more um, diversified into a mix of value, cyclical, and growth. And so we took about a percent and a half hit as of close today uh, on the big board, which is, you know, doesn't faze me. I think... Lastly, I just wanted to tell people, if this is your first cycle. You must have found us before even February, right? We saw a growth stock sell off in February. Let's just even look at the, at the NASDAQ. Or actually, let's look at ARK Invest because that's probably like the closest peer to what we'd like to invest in. That's why, I mean, and also like if I can have a fraction of the success of Kathy, I think uh, I'll, I'll, I'll consider myself a success. If you thought the past few couple week few weeks was tough, you clearly weren't watching this channel or investing back in February, right? So, Mar oh yeah, February, March. So just when in doubt, zoom out, right? I mean, zoom out even five years, right? Uh, actually, Arc's probably not the right one, but let's go to NASDAQ, right? Let's go to five years on the NASDAQ, right? Look at this period of time. This was tough. But then you just, you know, you go up and you go up again and, you know, stonks only go up, right? Except for this bubble. We're trying to avoid the bubbles. We're, uh, we're trying to avoid the bubbles. For those of you asking about uh, what I think about the COVID patterns and, and India and all that stuff, um, we cover that in macro daily section um, on, at, on my newsletter, which currently is uh, completely free. We're redoing the whole, like... Um, kind of pay things so that we can have a really low cheap tier for folks that just kind of want to dip their finger toes into the water and then um, kind of merging the whole Roic, Roic Plus stuff. So thank you for my, and you know what I've realized today, I've realized this week in the past few weeks is I haven't been able to put out a lot of real content. I haven't even been able to do as much stock research as I can. I, that's what you, that's what I'm here for, right? And we're getting to the point on the site. Yes, I know when I do trade alerts, it crashes for like five to 10 minutes. 
And like, if we're going to build something really special here, which is the hedge fund for the people, I have a lot of cool things I really want to build, then I need to kind of get back to concentrating on, on investing research and content for you all, right? But I also need the website to work and the website to add features and stuff like that. So I'm actually coming to the realization that I may have to bleed even more cash than I already am to, or maybe not bleed cash, but we, I, we can figure stuff out, but bring on someone full-time maybe on the development side, full stack. I don't know. I know we have a lot of software developers here. Like just email me a couple cents at gmail.com. If you have any advice, like, you know, I know I, I've been the finance side I've led finance for a tech company, but you know, this early stage stuff is a little bit more foreign to me. Um, so cool. So that's neither here nor there. I wanted to show, uh, for those of you rolling in, uh, let's see, let's go to Roic topics, a couple cents.com real quick. Um, you know, this, this is updated kind of the day after, but this is basically our performance. This is what our performance has been. And we're going to continue doing our best, you know? Uh, I will say this is this number has dropped after today to 69. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I think we've done a really good job protecting where our gains. You know, it's been a really rough market for growth investors, which we are. Uh, it's really boring to be a deep value investor. It's really boring. It's really scary to be a super cyclical investor buying like oil stocks, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to like track Suez Canal barrels of oil. I mean, maybe we can someday, but um, yeah. So definitely check us out, a couplecents.com. Really helps support the content. And so does your like on this video and subscribing. So thank you for being here. Um, okay, so we have thoughts on Teladoc. Stocks down more than 10% after earnings. It seems to be, oh, this was six days ago. So we reset this thing like every every week. Um uh, stocks down more than 10% after earnings. It seems to be an industry leader. I love Teladoc as is one of ARK's invests largest position. TDoc. TDoc stock. Let's pull up the chart. Woo, look at that chart. All right, so, dang. Kind of looks like the Peloton one except even more exacerbated. So I don't love from a macro perspective being like, we've been trying to go more towards value, right? In terms of our, um, in terms of trying to be more towards value uh, in terms of the mix in our ROIC portfolio, which is the reason why we, we haven't tanked like, like ARC is tanked. So I don't love that story, but let's just look at the, the valuation now to see if it's interesting now. Take some water. All right. So they're trading at, call it 14 to 18 times forward gross profit. Expected to grow at like 29% plus. I would say it's probably fairly valued at this point. But if you believe that telehealth continues to really grow like it has been over the last four years, even pre-pandemic, anything higher than these 
I mean, now could be a good time to start buying in. I really do like Teladoc. Um, we're going to slap, Danik, if you're watching, we're going to slap on a quick rating system that we're going to implement hopefully this weekend. Um, we're going to slap a interesting rating on this one. So it's a four rating system. We're going to go um, not interesting at all, not attractive, doesn't get me excited, looks interesting, and possible money money maker. So four, four rating system. And hopefully maybe someday, like maybe the video people when they join us um, full time, they can take a picture of my face, me going like this or like this or whatever, and like slap that on the thing. I think that'd be fun. Um, yeah, so this is this gets and starts to get an interesting rating to me on this valuation. You know, I think it's a really good asset to own over the next decade. Now, the question is, what price? Like, can it go down more? Yeah, sure. Look, trading at 12 times. Gross profit in 2018. You know, it's starting to get, but that's 12 times current. So it's starting to get more attractive, but does it get me, is it, is this going to, you know, go to the front of the list in terms of what we're looking at? Maybe not. But I also think that these projections are kind of low. So if this is like 80% growth and then 50% growth, then potentially, or 60% growth, potentially this valuation is more like, um, 10 times 2022 gross profit, and it's really juicy. So I, would, I saw an interesting rating on it. I would say investing in a Teladoc, if you really love the business, I'd say you're smart to do that. Um, cool. Mark is done. Snowflake, near all-time lows. This one was so overpriced at IPO. And I did not, me no likey, Justin no likey. So 240, it's 213. See, this is what I'm saying. In the short term, the market is crazy drunk, man. In the long term, right? Yeah, it's not, it's almost not even about right or wrong, right? It's like, it's all opportunity costs. Where do you want to keep your money and what will give you the most conviction to hold? Snowflake, the valuation was not, was not right for me. So, to be honest, it was too overvalued at 250, so I can give you a quick answer. It's probably still overvalued, especially in this market. But let's just look. Snowflake. I love thoughts on Amazon, please. I uh Zunny B is asking thoughts on Amazon, please. I thought it's a great company. Why is it down almost 10% since great earnings? Yeah. It, Amazon, let me give you a little hint here. Amazon, is it down 10%? It doesn't look like 10%. Um, Amazon's one of those things that like have, is looks like dead money, but these things will have to go at some point. Look what happened to Facebook, right? At a certain point, you start you start reporting great earnings, and this was Facebook was dead money money on the broke big work for a long time, and then they finally the market's like, fine, you're making a lot of money. Okay, fine, we'll we'll, we'll give you the right price or starting to get to the right price. Amazon's like that. They're they're eating the world, and do you want to be a shareholder? In the world eater? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Um, so what were we talking about? We were talking about Snowflake stock. They are trading at 80 times, 50 times, 2022. Gross profit. Yeah, this thing is way overvalued. This is way overvalued. 
Um, Manuel, thanks for tuning in. I know this is late for you uh, Europeans, but um, you know, Rogue, if you're a Rogue member and in Europe, we do like tomorrow, Monday and Thursdays, we do Rogue only streams. And uh, they're at 11 or 12 p.m. Eastern time. So, you know, definitely catch us there too. So, th good night. Um, good night, Manuel. You go. Um, so, Snow is just too overvalued. Look, look at these multiples, right? When you are so far removed from your baseline valuation or from your baseline fundamentals, you're more like more and more like Icarus, right? The harder you fall. When you're closer, it acts like a like a sponge. And if your valuations going, if your fundamentals are going up, right, you just the fundamentals will carry you there. And fundamentals, ladies and gentlemen, is more reliable than pure hope. Um, cool. Let's go to some voicemails. Let's go to some voicemails. Um, okay. Oh yeah. I want to answer this one question from the Roke community. In the past, you have argued you have to be right on a lot more with call options, therefore higher risk. At what price point slash price, if at all, would you consider buying Peloton leaps? I would go like options, profit calculator. Let the let, let them do the work for you. So like long call, bullish. Let's go Peloton, right? Get price. Uh, select option. Let's say we want to do January 2023, uh, out of the money. Let's go out of the money. Uh, the implied vol is probably really bad now, right? So you want to wait till the stock calms down a bit. And you want to go like 140. Let's say it's 140. Let's say that's your pro. Let's say you want to be a little bit more conservative. And you go, all right, this is definitely a $120 stock. And you pay 1500 bucks for one. And you say it's going to end up at uh, eight, yeah, let's say like a hundred bucks to two hundred bucks over the next two three years, right? So the way you should do this is okay. So if you buy this out of the money call, if at expiry, at expiry, um, it reaches your target price of like one sixty five, you've uh doubled your money oh you two and a half your money right two and a half your money but if you had just bought the the stock at 82 you would have just doubled your money right so you'd have just doubled your money 207 percent yeah see the question is timing right if you buy this call option and it double it goes to 160 in the next two year or like before January. When is that? January 2023. So in 2022, you're making a lot more money. So you got to be right faster. But in this case, right? If even if if you bought it at 82 bucks a share and it's 135 bucks and it goes to 135, you only you make you you basically just make your money back, right? But if you just bought the stock, you'd be up like over 50%. So 
you have to be right fast. And so if you think that there's like catalysts to be, to bring this to fruition faster, then that's when I would think about using leverage if, if that's your if that's your jam. It's not my jam in my in my stage of life. But if that's your jam, then then you have to make sure that you have a firm belief on why you're gonna be right fast. Or in half the time of the expiry. Like there's some event or something that happens that you're predicting. Otherwise, like, right, if 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 it's just to get leverage, I mean, you know, just buy more stock. That's my opinion. But and deep, yes, it gets a little bit better if you're deep in the money. But again, the deeper you are in the money, the closer the returns look like just buying the stock um, without the expiry. And the question is, right, when you start getting interested in buying options is usually when implied volatility is higher. So you're paying a premium of, on implied volatility. So, you know, I'm not saying that there's not a, uh, a time and a place. I think the time and the place is like we have a biotech stock on the big board, right? I looked into buying call options on there. And then when I priced it out, because, right, because it's either going to get approved or not. So it's either a, a 5, 10Xer or it's a zero, right? So those bets with a real like solid like phase two trials coming out, like it's either a yes or a no and the stock's going to go like this or that. Then and you want more, more juice to it or there's something else. Like it doesn't need to be that extreme. That's when you kind of use it-ish, but you just really got to be really conservative to it. And for 95% of people on this channel... I just say it's probably not worth your time, stress, energy, or risk. But if you're kind of in that 5% and you're like, I know what I'm doing, just make sure to use one of these calculators and be like, always compare it against just buying the stock because that's your opportunity cost. It's just, why would you buy this instead of the stock? And if it's really compelling for some sort of reason and you can you get triple your return instead of doubling or you get a triple instead of a double and you're pretty confident about it, then you know, it could work for you. Do your own research, so. Um, let's do some voicemails. We're already at over an hour and it's, it's been a fun, fun session. Um, cool. All right. So I usually only take them when they're, they're called in at the start. So today it would be 7 PM central, 8 PM Eastern. So I'm going to mute myself. And I think you can hear this if I mute myself. Hey, Justin. Love the new updates to the website. Um, thanks for everything that you've, you've done for the community. Um, I was wondering if you could take a look at uh, online real estate brokerage EXPI, um, EXP World Holdings. Um, I know you looked at them a couple of months ago when they were trading around $60 uh, post-stock split. Um, and now they've come down um, quite a bit. So I was wondering um, if you still think that they're um, expensive. Um, so thanks. Have a good one. All right. EXP World Holdings. Um, they are a, uh, is this it? EXPI. EXPI World Holdings. They are a holding company for EXP Realty. They are a 
Um, okay. I don't really know exactly what they do. What do they do? About EXP. I forget. We look at so many stocks here. Technology, community, growth. Our cloud-based technologies enable businesses to scale globally with unlimited operational flexibility and resilience to gain and gain on-demand access to real-time information tools and community. Wow, that was a lot of buzzwords and I still don't understand what they do. So this is a real estate brokerage and tech platform. Uh, allows. Oh, so meet Kevin bought this one. That's interesting. Okay. I mean, he loves the real estate ones because he, he is a real estate agent. Um, showcase IDX, the real estate tech company enables agents to market and manage the businesses and online presence. Um, property search online and mobile platforms. I mean, let's just Google like biggest realtor or real estate agent software. Building, uh, that's property management. Um, Salesforce for real estate, soft, software for agents. Let's see if they even make this list. Okay. Uh, contactually track leads, ring central office. Open, open.io, multiple showings, Spacio, Zillow Premier Agent. Gotta, gotta give props to Zillow. Area Pulse, RPR, Mobile, Cam Scanner, Dot Loop, Expensive. Yeah, okay, so these are just random other apps. Um, you know, they're interesting. Let's look at the valuation. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have bought up there. Trading at 18 times gross profit. Growing really fast, though. I think it's reasonable. I think this is a reasonable stock at this price. At 30 bucks a share, uh, you're looking at sort of like 16, 17 times gross profit for something growing at over 50% a year. Yeah, I mean, I think this is reasonable. I think this is, I would slap an interesting rating on this one. Let's slap an interesting rating on this one. Because the question is, why are these consensus figures, which a lot of time they're wrong, why are they dropping off a cliff here? Right? Um, any of you who bought in um, bought in EXPI, do you know when Kevin bought into this? Um, let's, oh, yeah. Let's look at the dilution. Someone said look at the dilution. Okay, so yeah, they're increasing their stocks, their number of shares outstanding. Um, the tough thing about dilution is it takes a while to, oh, I did look at the 10K, huh? Is it does, okay, so you, you all want me to look into this one? So we know they have about 144 million shares. Let's say dilution. Use the word that you guys want me to search. 
We're authorized to issue up to 220 million shares of common stock, of which 146.7 million shares were issued. 144 shares were outstanding. Authority to issue additional shares of common stock without the consent of other our shareholders. Current stockholders may experience more dilution as in their ownership. Um, I mean, but a lot of companies have that ability. So the question is, are they going to dilute the crap out of you all for a certain, for some specific reason? So let's look at EXPI. This is, a, this is, someone said it's a meet Kevin stock. Um, diluted, let's see, uh, options maybe. Wait, they pay realtors with new shares? Okay, that sounds fishy. That sounds really fishy. People in the in the chat are telling me that EXPI gives shares to the real estate agents that come to their platform. That seems really sketchy, don't you think? Like, I don't even need to know much about the business. Just seems really sketchy. I don't know. I don't know. As they report it, they are spending $21 million a year in stock compensation or stock option expense. Um. Our, oh, agent growth incentive program. That's what they call it. Um, let's look at this. Our stock repurchase program fully disclosed in Node 11. Okay, agency broke. Oh, I just got it. The company administers an equity incentive program whereby agents and brokers become eligible to receive awards of the company's common stock through agent attraction and performance benchmarks. So it's like a referral program, which isn't inherently bad. The incentive program encourages greater performance and awards agents with common stock based on their achievement of performance milestones. Awards usually vest based on three years of service and performance benchmarks. Um, yeah, so they're spending 15 million, 13 million, and 19 million respectively. Let's see what that looks like on an EBITDA basis. Yeah, so they're spending about 21 million, 40% of their profits on, or maybe 30% of their profits on, on this stock compensation growth expense. And it's causing them to grow but yeah, the dilution isn't super great, but they are growing quite quickly. I would say it's definitely a consideration, but it's not particularly like hugely scary. Like uh, agent. Rapid agent growth, number of agents increased 15%. Compared to the end of Q3. So they're growing 15% quarter over quarter. Uh, I still think it's an interesting. It's interesting. Doesn't get the top of the list. 
they have 3% of the U.S. agent base, so there's a lot of room to run. You know, it's not my type of stock because there's like some stickiness with, or sorry, there's some weirdness with the agent program. Um, all right, we launched five new countries. Michael getting that increased star stock buyback to offset dilution. Okay, yeah, I'm not I'm not too concerned about that. I mean, if they're if they if as long as they're tracking to it, they're going to buy back stock to offset the dilution that they're diluting um, with. It's probably a good way to incentivize agents to come on board. Now the question is, I think deeper research would be how much are they giving and are the incentive structures a good customer acquisition cost? Like are they overspending on on agent acquisition? Agent not customer, agent acquisition. I guess they are customers too. So, you know, it looks interesting, the valuation is interesting. It doesn't scream bye 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 to me. As our friend Jim Cramer would say. But it doesn't look unreasonable. And thirty bucks a share might be worth a flyer at this point. I mean, I, I think agents are gonna need a lot of like they're gonna need the, all the edge that they need coming out of this pandemic. I mean, everybody wants to buy a home now. And we are, we are, we are very, very like we're in the middle. We're right before the cusp of a big boom, I think in, in at least real estate volume and demand. I'm not sure about prices, but yeah. So I would say it's really interesting. 30 bucks a share. I'd probably take a flyer. So I wouldn't call you dumb for buying in here. From a quick glance, I think there's a this one's got a lot of weirdness to it, and definitely look into it. But the the dilution that they're so they're giving out shares, but they're also buying back shares in the market, and they're saying they're going to offset it with their profits. So it's not it's not horrible because once they're done giving away the shares, the question is, oh yeah, here's a huge hugely important question. Now that I think about it in real time, is what you got to think about here is when you give a new agent shares, does that agent stay on your platform forever? Because they're like, I love this, I own this stock, like I'm gonna use this online brokerage platform um, forever. Or do they just let it vest and then they 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 ditch it and go to Zillow or whatever a competing product is? That's a huge question. Because if that's the case, if they stick around and it's a super sticky product and it's a recurring revenue business, then that agent now owns stock, feels emotionally connected, owns stock, and continues paying the company. But the company only issued shares once up front. And then they use the profits to buy that back. So once kind of the value is created and they, they got that person for a customer for years, then after that's paid back, depending on the amount, right, customer acquisition cost, a customer lifetime value divided by customer acquisition cost equals your like unit ROI. If that's high enough and these people stick around and they're not giving too much equity, just a little bit of equity for like a little carrot, it could be good. Um, but if they kind of just get the stock and kind of leave, or maybe it, for, maybe some of you are, are open door 
Redfin, iBuying, Zillow people who think iBuying is going to destroy the whole industry. If that's the case, I wouldn't want to be touching. If, if you believe that, which I don't particularly believe, like I don't particularly believe iBuying is going to take over the world by storm, at least in the next five to 10 years. But if you're someone who believes that, like I wouldn't call you dumb for thinking, it's just a kind of a feeling, gut feeling, difference of opinion, then you should want to stay away from anything brokerage related, agent related, because iBuying will disrupt brokerage and agents. So just another thing to look out for. All right. Those of you asking, where do I find this Roic big board? First link in the description, uh, a couplecents.com. Everything we do is at a couplecents.com. Definitely consider signing up. You get to see all of our favorite stocks. Uh, you get amazing community. Like I, it's, our our Discord got really heated today. So Roic members, thank you for you know being polite. And we're all just you know we're all just here to find the intellectual truth and um, love the discourse. So thank you for being Roic members. For those of you that support the content. We're making kind of a, a low tier for people that, oh, I'm, I should be showing my screen. Um, you get to see kind of what we're, what I'm buying, but, you know, just my example. It's not advice. It's just what I'm doing. And you get to see kind of all of our premium analysis. You get all these things. Definitely check it out. And, um, you know, I also, I will also be doubling down in June once we get the video team in place on video content, free video content, because I love you all. So. Let's do one more, one more voicemail, and then, and then I got to sign off. But I got to pack up. I'm flying out tomorrow. Uh, got some business to take care of. Uh, I will still be doing Morning Sense, and I will still be doing our private Roic live stream tomorrow at, at 12 p.m. Eastern. But um, I won't be doing Morning Sense Friday. I fly. All right, let's go to do the next one. Hey, Justin, Roic member here. Thanks for everything that you do. Um, I was wondering if you can take a look at Coupa. So that's ticker C-O-U-P. It's a software business that helps other businesses with expense data and spending management. Thanks. Coupa software. I thought you said Poopa. I chuckled. Okay, let's, let's look at the chart. Andrew's asking, what does ROIC mean? So in the industry, ROIC means return on invested capital. And I, you know, early on, I just said, what is this thing all about? It's about return on invested capital. And so I named it ROI Connect. It's just turned into ROIC. And we're a community. We're going to build our wealth, compound our wealth together over decades. And just we love to have as many people on board trying to build a cool community. Um, let's talk about Koopa. Run out of energy. Peloton. Today was crazy. Run out of energy. All right. Koopa's been trading sideways. They're down quite a bit. Sounds like some like a COUP stock. Um trading at an eighteen billion dollar valuation, growing at 30, 40% to 50% a year on average. Solid gross profit margins, not the greatest for a software company. Um, 40 times gross profit, 30 times 2022 gross profit. So from first glance, they look overvalued. Do, 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 do. Okay, 
Business spend management solutions offers a comprehensive cloud-based BSM platform that has connected over 1,000 organizations with more than 5 million suppliers globally. Its platform provides visibility into and control over how companies spend their money. The company's BSM platform delivers a broad range of capabilities that would typically require the purchase and use of multiple disparate point applications. The core of its platform consists of procurement, invoicing, expense management, and payment modules that form the transaction engine for managing a company's business spend. It doesn't seem very cheap. Too expensive for me. So I'd probably give this like an uninterested rating. So I'm slopping an uninterested rating. Not that interesting to me. Just too expensive. Good company, too expensive. And if we want something like that, I mean, let's take a quick look at PagerDuty again. Or ServiceNow, right? So PagerDuty is probably closer to the growth rate, right? 25% plus growth rate, trading at low teens for gross profit. So cheaper business, it's good business, similar-ish growth. Uh, I mean, a little bit lower growth, but one-fourth of the valuation. So like 20% lower growth for... 20% of the price or for 80% lower price. Something like that. Right? Bada bing, bada boom. I'm okay, fine, because I love you so much. Dave bot 88 is asking about Roblox. I don't like um Roblox. I don't like it. I think kids are gonna go back to school. It's trading at 25 times gross profit. I mean it's growing quite fast. I just don't love it. I don't love it thematically. Because the risk is here, right? Roblox is going to get smacked if all the kids go back to school. I didn't like it when they IPO'd. Probably don't like it now. And Unity, a little bit easier, but Unity is, right, Unity software. Is like the backbone platform for creating uh, video games. Some of you corrected me last time when I, I didn't think that they had really big blockbuster games. But maybe we go biggest games on Unity. Hearthstone, I've heard of that one. That looks, Rust, people are still playing that one. Monument Valley. Temple Run, you guys remember that? List of Unity games. Uh... Cloud, Cloud Punk. Oh, that one's a big... This one was a big one, right? Cloud Punk. Uh, does it still doesn't seem to be like huge smash hits, but some, some good ones that make it. Um, and I think just, again, I think... I think video game usage goes down, at least in the short term. Oh, so Hearthstone's an Activision... Uh, yeah, so they're trading at thirty times for gross profit for uh, something that ha- is 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 uh, is growing at the same pace as, as Pager Duty. So, would you rather have Pager Duty at twelve times gross profit or Unity at thirty? Pretty easy. I'd rather go Unity. So, Unity, uh, I would say I don't like it. So, bottom rating, I don't like. It. I don't even need to give these names. Sad face for Unity. 
and uninterested face in Roblox. And the only reason why Roblox gets an uninterested and not a sad face is because uh, it is growing at like 100%. So you could be wrong. Like if they do grow, like keep growing like that, then it could be a smash hit. So anyway, thank you for being here. Don't forget to join Roic or join Roic email only if that's more your jam. You're like kind of a, a lighter investor who just wants to get up to speed every single day on the markets and, and, and stuff like that. We're in the middle of our rollout of all these features, so nothing's changing quite yet. Um, probably we'll announce it this week and things will officially change probably next week. Um, and again, uh, don't feel free to reach out. I read almost every email. And DMs are really tough because I'm managing a million platforms. But emails, I usually read them. I can't respond to everybody. And I read every single comment. So if you comment, don't forget to leave a like and subscribe. And I read every comment. I can't respond to everybody. And, um, but I love everybody. So thank you so much. I'll see you next time. Happy investing and have a great rest of your week. Bye.